Hey, it's Kanzano. I appreciate you making this podcast part of your day. Make sure you subscribe if you want more and leave us some feedback. Away we go. Initialize sequence. Welcome to The Baldcast, a production of John Kanzano's Baldface Truth. Well, we had some news over the Christmas break is the uh, West Coast Conference, the WCC, and the PAC. Two or the Pac-12, Oregon State and Washington State, uh, came to an agreement on uh, a basketball and other sports scheduling uh, partnership in which Oregon State and Washington State will be playing uh, in the WCC, more or less, in 2024. Stu Jackson is the commissioner of the WCC and is joining us now. Stu, thanks for making time. Appreciate you. No, John, I appreciate you having me on, and uh, it's, it's great to be with you. I have so many questions. I've got NBA questions. I've got, you know, WCC commissioner questions. I have Stu Jackson questions. I don't even know where to start, but let's start with what I was talking about. <laughs> Oregon State, Washington State, um, and the WCC. Can you give us some background on how that came together, how you felt about it? No, happy to, uh, John. You know, back, you know, as early as this summer as, you know, national realignment began began to unfold, uh, we really felt as a conference that perhaps uh, because this was football-driven and focused on institutions in the western part of the United States, that there might be an opportunity um, for us if – uh, you know, certain institutions park football in other conferences that we might be the recipient of some of their other sports that would help benefit us, strengthen our conference in some of those other sports. Um, you know, and it must have been um, cer- certainly a premonition because it wasn't too long after that that we heard from Oregon State and Washington State um about the idea of perhaps affiliating three of their sports with the WCC, to which we responded, John, we were interested. But then as they, uh, Oregon State and Washington State, began to um, go about their business of coming to an agreement with the Mountain West for football scheduling, the seriousness of those discussions began to gain steam, and we talked more about not just three sports, but six, then nine, and then eventually 12, inclusive of basketball. I think it works, and especially from a basketball standpoint, I think you have a very strong conference, especially the top half of your conference, really strong, has been strong. Um, how, do, how does this work for the WCC? What, what benefits? What's in it for the WCC? There are several benefits, John. I mean, certainly from a recruiting standpoint for our existing members, as well as Oregon and Oregon State, it's helpful. Uh, In terms of scheduling, uh, there's a great benefit to us just providing more quality, uh, you know, uh, competitive uh, games across all sports. And also, by the way, of uh, women's golf and, and softball, it um, serves to round out um, the number of institutions in those sports uh, that we can maintain our uh, qualification, our NCAA qualification. 
uh, you know, from a broadcast exposure standpoint, having two institutions like this, uh, both on linear and, and digital uh, television is a benefit to the conference. But more importantly, um, you know, the student athlete experience that our, uh, that our athletes will have, I think it's really been enhanced. Uh, when you look at, you know, competing, you know, across our footprint, it just makes sense from a travel standpoint, from a budgetary standpoint. Uh, so the benefits are numerous. Stu Jackson with us, commissioner of the WCC. You know, you, you've coached in the Pac-12 conference. You were at Oregon. You were an assistant coach there. You'd played at Oregon. Uh, what did you know, you were at Washington State on Len Stevens' staff. Uh, you know, you give me an idea when you, um, you know, when you see the conference unfolding. Just from a personal standpoint, there had to be some feelings there. Uh, yeah, there are. Um, you, you know, uh, I, I'm joking with you, John. So I'll qualify by saying one of those feelings was I had to really uh, learn to love the Beavers. You know, so that, <laughs> right. that, that's a tough one. But I'm totally in love with Oregon State, <laughs> you know, as long as they benefit uh, the WCC. But, you know, I one thing you didn't mention, I actually played in the WCC when I was at Seattle University for a season. So there are a lot of connections personally uh, to not only the, uh, you know, the, the Pac-12, but also the WCC. So uh, emotions are running high, and uh, I couldn't be more pleased. The vision that you have for the WCC, people think basketball. It re- the conference really could be a premier basketball conference. You have Gonzaga. How do you keep Gonzaga happy and in the fold? And wh- how does that, you know, this this move with the Pac-12 shape your vision? It, yeah, it, it's a fair question. And the goal uh, or vision, as you mentioned is that for this conference, I think it really has great potential, John. You know, for many, many years, it's no secret that the WCC has been extremely competitive across the board in, you know, all Olympic, store, all Olympic sports, uh, reaching many NCAA uh, competitions um, and, you know, advancing into Elite Eights and Final Fours across a lot of different sports. Um, the vision, if we can continue to strengthen ourselves from top to bottom in the sport of men's and women's basketball, combined with our existing tradition and performance in Olympic sports, I think the WCC conference truly will be something special. And, but the key operative word there is we have to continue to strengthen ourselves in men's and women's basketball from top to bottom. And, you know, certainly one of the reasons why Gonzaga has been courted uh, since 2017 is they've been courted because um, other conferences feel, although I don't necessarily agree, feel that they can provide Gonzaga with more and more um, uh, opportunistic um, you know, uh, basketball competition, whereby year in and year out, uh, they can be one of multiple teams to enter the NCAA tournament, aside from the financials um, that they can provide. But if we continue to take care of our own business, improve in men's and women's basketball, it makes it, uh, I think, 
you know, more possible that, uh, you know, Gonzaga may feel that their home is with the WCC permanently. Stu Jackson with us, WCC commissioner. There's been talk, Chip Kelly has floated the idea of football splintering away. Um, does uh, does that make sense to you? What what are we not thinking about? You're a commissioner. Sounds simple. But then as I talk to ADs, they go, well, it's not that simple. What do you see, Stu, when people talk about splitting football from the rest? Well, what I see uh, just looking through my WCC eyes is an opportunity. And, um, you know, that opportunity is present right now with our affiliation with Oregon State and Washington State, whereby, you know, football, if they are separated or there's some sort of super football conference, you know, there is a scenario or a vision that may include playing other sports, Olympic sports, John, regionally. And isn't that what we have here now uh, with an unprecedented relationship between two power five schools in Oregon State, Washington State, and another Division I conference? I think that model or what we're about to experience over the next two years could, in fact, be a precursor if, in fact, football does break away and the other sports uh, have a different format elsewhere that makes more geographic and financial sense. I'm struggling with the ecosystem because it feels like a lot of what we're seeing with media rights and the pursuit of money and television flies in the face of higher education. You've worked in the NBA. You've got a great background with college athletics. How do we uh, how do we wrestle and grapple with this, Stu, as we look at the landscape and, go, you know, how do we hold on to college while it feels more and more like the pros? You know, it's, again, an excellent question. And, you know, the answer to that question may, in fact, lie in the voices of our student athletes. It will be interesting to me, John, to monitor the reaction or the evolution of the student athlete voice uh, as many of these student athletes are faced with um, the compromising their educational experience due to athletic travel, missed class time, albeit that I realize there are more online classes now more than ever. But, you know, the fatigue of doing that, not necessarily in football, John, because it's not as much of an issue when you're playing one game a week. But I'm thinking more of what do you do in volleyball and soccer and basketball when every other week you potentially are traveling traveling across multiple time zones. What does that do to the student-athlete experience? And it will be interesting to hear their voice over the next couple of years and how it, that voice shapes uh, the future ecosystem of college athletics. Stu Jackson with us, WCC Commissioner. If I can pivot a little bit to the NBA, we've got a franchise in Portland that you know, is not going to contend for a championship this year. You've played, you've coached, you've been an executive in the league. What What do you think the Blazers and what should fans be looking for and what should coaches be looking for, executives be looking for from young players who are on a team that, you know, isn't going to probably be a playoff team? There's no way in hell. They're not going to be a playoff team. So what, what, are we, what should we be looking for out of these young players? Well, what you should be looking for, given the, you know, the process 
Uh, I know that's a favorite word in the NBA, but given the process that the Portland Trailblazers currently are undergoing, the best thing that, you know, fans can look for uh, is hope. And I would say just based upon, you know, what I've seen out of the Portland Trailblazers, and I I had an opportunity to see them actually live over the Christmas holiday uh, at a home game when they played the Sacramento Kings. There's a great deal of hope there. I mean, when you look at, you know, young players like, uh, you know, like Simons or, or Henderson and Kamara and, and, you know, they've added some, some players in the middle, some veteran players in, in Williams and, uh, and uh, um, the center from Aiton. Um, there's, there's a lot of hope there, you know, but it takes time to develop. And you have to be patient, but I'll tell you what, when I see a team like Portland, they're exciting to watch and deserving of fans' attendance as long as they keep competitive. And then, you know, down the road, you you see, you know, it's been my experience, though, with teams in the state that Portland's in right now where you've got a really good collection of young players. That affords you the opportunity, one, to, you know, develop assets, and then secondly, the question becomes what you do with those assets to take your uh, franchise to another level. Do you keep that young core of players? Do you utilize those assets, you know, in the, in the trade market? Um, you know, do you collect more uh, first-round picks? But the bottom line is they're off to a great start. And if I'm a Portland fan, I think there's a great deal of hope there. Now we've got teams getting fined for – Players taking maintenance days and new rules, obviously the, the new uh, rest policy, but the league has fined a team uh, for sitting some players. How tricky was that in your time in the NBA to, to kind of manage that? Because you were in the league as players started looking around going, well, other star players are getting maintenance days. I want maintenance days. Like That became a thing. How, how much a topic of conversation was that for you, Stu, as, a, uh, as an executive in the league? Yeah, it was a major topic of conversation. I remember uh, vividly, John, uh, one of the first times that, you know, was an aha moment for for the NBA League office. And it was um, it involved, I, I believe, Mano Ginobili and perhaps Tim Duncan, maybe Parker, who at the league office, we were made aware that they were not going to participate in a game against the Miami Heat. You know, and as a matter of fact, they not only were going to not participate, but they didn't even make the trip. And they were sent home in the interest of rest. And that was the first time I remember having conversations with uh, the San Antonio uh, franchise, who I'll now label them as the god godfather of load management. Uh, you know, uh, conversations about what exactly they did, why and how, you know, it affected the, the, the league and its brand. And so fast forward to today, it's gotten to a point where, uh, you know, as any professional league is a copycat league, and that's any professional league, and other franchises began uh, participating in load management with their players, um, and, you know, coupled with the science that was behind it, and it got to a point where it began to not only affect the brand, but, you know, potentially affect viewership. And when, it, you know, for any professional sports, you know, organization, when your brand is affected, 
when viewership potentially is affected, uh, you've got to deal with that and, um, you know, come up with a framework or rules, for lack of a better term, to manage it. Do you ever see yourself as a commissioner of a college conference when you're back at Oregon or Seattle or even in the NBA? Did you think that's a goal one day, or does this do those opportunities sort of just evolve over time? Yeah, you know, I've been very fortunate throughout my career to be, you know, to have a lot of help, John, um, in my career, and I've been, I've had some great mentors um, who have benefited me greatly. And, you know, whether it's in college or whether it's in, you know, the professional ranks, um, I'm very blessed and fortunate. And did I see myself being a, a collegiate uh, commissioner, uh, you know, 20 years ago? Probably not. But, you know, I had the opportunity to, you know, work with, I, I think, one of the best in Val Ackerman at the, the Big East Conference. And just, um, you know, watching her, um, you know, lead a conference and lead a group of student athletes and all the benefits that a conference are able to provide its institutions and, and the student athletes, I, you know, that was appealing to me and in part led to, um, you know, this opportunity and uh, wanting to, uh, to get on board. Stu Jackson with us, WCC Commissioner. Stu, before I let you go, uh, just to recap the, the, the uh, scheduling affiliation with the WCC in Oregon State and Washington State. It's a two-year deal, includes 12 sports, as I understand. Um, you have, uh, you know, the, uh, the, the two conference uh, members that are from the Pac-12 coming into play. Um, help our listeners understand conference championships, automatic bids. You know, let's just, just talk basketball for men's and women's basketball. What's on the table all conference teams, will you see Oregon State, Washington State players considered for all conference teams? What's on the table? Yeah, no, in terms of just the, the affiliation agreement itself, I mean, Oregon State and Washington State are eligible for the WCC's automatic qualifications to all NCAA championships. Uh, you know, both those institutions will have the same opportunity as, as our nine full members uh, to compete for WCC title and earn the conference's automatic qualification. Um, that's the way it will, that's the way it's going to work. Um, so, um, you know, both of those schools are part of our media rights agreements, whether it uh, is a part of a linear or digital. So you'll see the beavers and the cougs on our broadcast. And, um, you know, for these two years, uh, that, that's, how it's going to be that's how it's going to work they're going to be a uh, an affiliate with the wcc well all conference teams as well or just conference championships uh yes they'll be eligible for um uh you know all conference teams it's fantastic Stu jackson love having you on love to catch up with you again when you're back in the state of oregon and uh thank you for giving us your time yeah no happy happy to do it john and a happy new year to all Happy New Year. Stu Jackson, there he is, the WCC commissioner. Loved his take two on the NBA. You could feel him just kind of drop right back into NBA mode, talking about resting players. But for Oregon State and Washington State fans, um, you know, look, this buys Oregon State and Washington State some time. Uh, they have offloaded football into the Mountain West with that alliance or that scheduling partnership and now having the affiliation with the WCC, 12 different sports. 
Oregon State baseball, I still think likely to play as an independent. We'll find out more about that as it uh, unfolds. But uh, there it is um, from Stu Jackson, from the horse's mouth, so to speak. Our big splash coming up. Top of the hour, 4 o'clock, Jim Moore, former columnist in the Seattle market, Seattle PI, Tacoma News Tribune, great columnist, great writer, great reporter. Now he's on KJR as a co-host, Puck and Jim co-host KJR in the middle of the day there. I join them once a week. Jim Moore is going to join me coming up top of the hour. Draymond Green is on an indefinite league suspension, and he is the subject of our big splash. The Big Splash! Brought to you by Killer Burger. Voted best burger five years in a row. Killer Burger's 10 rad burger builds will send your taste buds on an epic journey. Killer Burger, the burgers your mama warned you about. Well, Draymond Green will miss his 11th game uh, tonight when the Warriors play the Denver Nuggets. But uh, he's expected to return to the Warriors practice facility in the coming days. This per the NBA and NBA commissioner uh, Adam Silver will have the final say on his reinstatement timeline. Remember Draymond Green was um, was suspended indefinitely and by indefinitely we uh, know that's until Adam Silver says otherwise. A variety of uh, NBA analysts had weighed in on Draymond Green but uh, here's Joe Dumars the executive vice president of the NBA explaining why an indefinite suspension for Draymond Green was appropriate. A lot of times people get caught up into like a number, like what's the number? What? And we didn't want to do that. Uh, what we wanted to do was, first of all, we knew that um, there would be some level of punishment, but we didn't want that to be the focus. We wanted the focus to be on how can we help Draymond as well? And we thought indefinite was the best way to do that. So, so, so people don't get caught up on here, what's the number? Is it too low? Is it too high? Indefinite means get yourself right. We want to see you at your best. And the best way for you to do that is is to get yourself, get yourself mentally and emotionally back to where you need to be. And so that's how we got to indefinite. I'd like to inform Joe Dumars that indefinite literally means lasting for an unknown or unstated length of time. But I get his point. I get what he's saying. He had become a distraction. His apology after punching Yusuf Nurkic in the face wasn't really an apology. Uh, he was pulling my hip, and I was swinging away to sell the call, made contact with him. Um, as you know, I'm not one to apologize for things I meant to do, but I do apologize to you, sir, um, because I didn't intend to hit him. Uh, I sell calls with my arms. I don't fall or to sell a call. I don't, I'm not a flopper. So I was just selling the car because he was grabbing me and pulling my hip back. So I spun away, and unfortunately, I hit him. And so, like I said, I apologize to you, Seth, um, because I didn't intend to hit him. Have you seen the replay? Yeah. How did it look to you on the replay? I mean, as I've said before, any replay, you know, if I go look at every replay of everything, um, a replay is they, it's never going to look good, you know, but... Like I said, I know my intentions. My intentions were to sell the call. Um, and you know, I also don't think I'm an accurate enough puncher to do a full 360 and, and, and connect with someone. Um, so it's unfortunate. 
Draymond Green's agent is Rich Paul of Clutch Sports. He has met with the Warriors general manager, Mike Dunleavy Jr., the team trainer, Players Association, NBA officials. These meetings are ongoing. Uh, remember the NBA said that Draymond Green had to uh, had to uh, fulfill a certain number of league and team conditions before his suspension would be lifted? Doesn't look like there's a lifted suspension here, just that he's going to be allowed back. Now, Warriors coach Steve Kerr said he hasn't had very much contact with Draymond Green over the past several weeks. Says they've texted each other, but, quote, we've been giving him space, and he's been giving us our space. Warriors are 6-5 and five since he's been suspended. They don't look right. They're clunky. They don't look right before Draymond went out. This is not. Uh, this was not a good development for the Warriors, who were struggling. Obviously, Clay Thompson was having some shooting problems, but it just feels to me like he's not a good enough player anymore for the Warriors to tolerate the nonsense. So there's part of me that kind of wonders. And if you're a Blazer fan... By the way, there's a silver lining here. The Blazers hold the Warriors' first-round draft pick in the next draft. It's protected one through four, but wouldn't be the worst thing ever if the Warriors went into a tailspin and this pick ended up being, you know, pick number eight, pick number 12, pick number 15, because the Warriors, if they perform as we expect them to perform, it's probably going to be like pick number 19 or 20 or 21. So there's a silver lining if you're a Blazer fan, but I kind of just think... The Warriors are over it. Like, there's a certain amount of nonsense that you will tolerate if the guy is part of, like, a championship effort, and the Warriors are no longer at that point and in that kind of relationship with Draymond Green. Steven, how do you view this whole thing? Yeah, it's one of those things where his production, now he's having a better year shooting the basketball, but you look at his stats of on and off the court, and the Warriors are a much better team when he's not playing and he's not on the court this season. So I think that's the problem is, that is not worth it anymore if he's not going to be productive. Now, there's been seasons where he hasn't put up as good as shooting numbers and as good numbers as he's done before, but the team is so much better with him on the court. So it's it's the combination of, you know, he's 33 years old, almost 34. He's probably lost a step or two, and the team's just not as good as they once were. So to pay him that type of money and to deal with that kind of nonsense is not worth it for the Golden State Warriors, I think, right now. And I think they're kind of getting into a rhythm with their new players and some of the younger players with, you know, Jonathan Kaminga stepping into the lineup, Brandon Pachemski, rookie, he's stepping into the lineup. Chris Paul's finally kind of getting it going with the Golden State Warriors. They're figuring it out a little bit without him on the court. So it will be interesting to see when Draymond comes back, what his role is, because you know, throughout his career, it's been very heavy with Draymond on the defensive side and even on the offensive side, great facilitator. But the Warriors, you know, there's about, you know, there's, 12 to 13 good good solid teams in the Western Conference and the Warriors are towards the bottom. There's going to be a couple teams that don't even make the play in and right now the Warriors are on the outside looking in and they could finish that way. Like that that's how good the West is. So they're going to have to figure it out on the fly of how much they want to give Draymond Green, how much responsibility they want to give him going forward. They've been a touch better without him than with him. Not much, but a touch better. If you're a Blazer fan, Blazers have that pick as long as it doesn't end up at the top four, what's the best-case scenario for Portland fans? Yeah, I think best-case scenario is the the Warriors miss out on the playoffs, and whether it's with Draymond in the lineup or not, but I think it's it, there's a possibility where the Warriors you know, finish with maybe you know the 10th 
tenth worst record, and they, the Blazers can end up with a top ten pick off of that draft pick. And I think right then, you know, Joe Cronin, you got to give him credit for what he's done uh, with those draft picks. And you talked to you know Stu, and he said it's all about getting assets. Well, that's a good asset if it's a top ten pick. Yeah. So you got to be rooting for the Warriors' kind of downfall right now if you're a Trailblazer, but fan. not too much. You don't want them in the top no. four. Yeah, you, you don't, you don't, you don't want them. them to, yeah. You don't want them to bottom out, but you want yeah. them to still compete. I think they'll still compete because they're veterans. But at the same time, just continue to struggle like this and uh, get the Blazers' top ten pick. A, uh, a lottery pick in the uh, seven, eight, nine range, along with the Blazers' own natural pick, would be pretty interesting. Coming up, Jim Moore, KJR Radio in Seattle. How's he doing? With- we interrupt this broadcast with a special announcement from the Bald Face hey, Sorry Truth. to interrupt the podcast, but if you want to listen to more of the Bald Face Truth Radio Show, including more of this segment that you're listening to, make sure you subscribe on SoundCloud and iTunes to the Bald Face Truth Radio Show. Thanks for listening.